Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the final episode of Series 13 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I'm often asked if people analytics is the preserve of larger companies, and I always say no. Every company has business questions that can be answered with people analytics. That said, there are different challenges in setting up a people analytics team in an organisation with, say, less than 5,000 employees. For one, you don't have the luxury of building a large team. This means you need to take a different approach, one of partnership and leveraging skills from across the organisation. This is exactly what my guest on this week's episode has done, and in doing so has built one of the most agile, most innovative and most successful people analytics teams I've come across. Jimmy Zhang is the Head of People Strategy and Analytics at Vertex Pharmaceuticals. He joined the company, which has just over 3,000 employees, in 2018 and has built the people analytics team from the ground up. In our conversation, Jimmy and I discuss how Vertex leverages a partnership model and strong foundation in governance and ethics to advance people analytics in the company. We look at the tripartite relationship between the people analytics team, HR business partners, and the business, and how this helps prioritize and elevate people analytics work. We dig into some of the work that Jimmy's doing, such as leading around skills to help drive career growth, development, and mobility at Vertex. We look at how Vertex is building a continuous employee listening program, which couples active and passive data sources. And we also look at how Vertex tackles the build versus buy conundrum when it comes to HR and people analytics technology. This episode is a must listen for anyone tasked in building or transforming people analytics or who is involved in building or buying HR technology. So that's business leaders, CHROs and anyone in an HR leadership, people analytics, workforce planning or HR business partner role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ChartHop. ChartHop is an org management platform that helps companies turn their business strategy into their people strategy. With ChartHop, you can easily integrate all your HR systems, everything from Bamboo to ADP to Workday, to build dynamic views of your company through a visually rich org chart, robust people analytics, and streamlined headcount planning. ChartHop aligns managers, finance, and HR teams all in one place. No spreadsheets needed. Peloton, MongoDB, Postman and other leading companies plan their orgs with ChartHop and you can too. Head to charthop.com forward slash digital HR to learn how HR leaders are leveraging ChartHop. That's charthop.com forward slash digital HR. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jimmy Zhang, uh, Head of People Strategy and Analytics at Vertex Pharmaceuticals to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Jimmy, it's fantastic to have you on the show. Can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and your role at Vertex? Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so a brief background about myself. I started with Vertex back in 2018. and I head up People Strategy and Analytics. I actually usually joke with people that I, I grew up in HR because if I go back in time, I actually started my career at Living Mutual as part of the Human Resource Development Program. And then I moved over to uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific, leading some of the HR transformation and technology work there. And from that on, I moved over to Biogen, taking on various roles in people operations, learning services, and people analytics. Great. Well, you've been doing some great work at Vertex since, since you joined. And... And we're particularly excited to explore. It's a question I get a lot. 
oh, is people analytics just for really big organizations of tens of thousands of people? Well, you proved that it's not, you know, because Vertex is around three and a half thousand employees, I think. It'd be great to explore how you've set up people analytics at Vertex, you know, and, and talk a bit about maybe how you've set the team up as well as some of the challenges that you faced. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, so why join Vertex to create the people analytics function? There was really not much in place. Um, so I had actually the opportunity to build the strategy and roadmap from the ground up. So the first thing that, that we needed to do is determine the type of people analytics function we want to build out. So after a lot of the internal discussions, uh, we determined that we actually want to build out a world-class people uh, analytics function within the biotech industry as, as an aspiration, right? So a major challenge to achieving that, obviously, like you mentioned, is really the size of the organization. So we don't have the luxury of building out a big team, um, you know, especially we have a combined workforce of just over 3,000 people. So we had to be a little bit more creative in terms of what work needs to reside within HR, where does it make sense to actually partner across other functions, and how do we actually more creatively leverage uh, external vendors. So to overcome this challenge, we decided on what we consider as the partnership and collaboration model, where we kept some of the sensitive capabilities like employee listening, ONA, workforce planning on the people analytics team, while engaging with our internal data science and IT teams on capabilities like machine learning models, self-service analytics, data management to round out the core capabilities that we need to build out. So essentially, we um, crowdsource resources and capabilities across the organization to quickly advance over the past three years. But I have to say that um, I have been really lucky to be able to work with some of the best talent in the analytics space through this uh, cross-functional partnership model. And I guess leveraging some of that expertise from elsewhere in the organization helps when it comes to addressing big challenges that the organization's facing because access to skills, access to, to, to business data as well, and bringing that together with the people data. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Essentially, you know, because we um, all look at data differently throughout the organization, we have this cost-functional uh, cost, uh, partnership model, then you can essentially look at it, even from an HR standpoint, looking at this from a different angle, where we can actually leverage a uh, different data set to actually tell a more meaningful story. Right. We're going we're gonna to look a bit more into sort of the partnership model and explore you know, some of the relationships that you've built with vendors as well. So in, let's start with the partnership model. I mean, have you have, have you faced any challenges around the partnership model? What are what are some of the, the things that you've learned, I guess, over the, the, the three or so years? Oh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, with all, all models, I think there's always challenges. So um, partnership model is no different. So um, since we have cross-functional resources working on people data, we quickly realized that, you know, we had to do more to safeguard people data and maintain that trust, right? So that's critical to us. So we, we know at that point, we need to actually create some standards around how we handle, distribute, and analyze people data between the teams. So one of the key early priorities was to actually put together ethics charter with our guiding principles. And at this point, we actually transparently share the principles with our employees through our internet site. We also actually link a lot of our communications to the ethics charter so people know exactly how we are actually handling, distributing, and analyzing the data. Um, we also actually, at the same time, form a cross-functional governance team, which include HR, data science, IT, privacy, legal communications, essentially all the, all the represent, representing functions to review all the studies that we undertake and make sure that we do the right thing by looking at all the angles possible. Um, actually, one of the, our guiding principles is really to protect the security of individuals by masking and aggregating data as soon as practical. So in order to do that, we actually 
uh, mass and de-identify the data before sharing with the cross-functional partners so that we continue to maintain that trust. Um, I'm actually really grateful to have uh, Dirk Peterson who helped us accelerate the ethics charter work when we started the people analytics journey. That, was th that, that is actually definitely a critical part of our operating model now. Um, another challenge I would say is to make sure that we have alignment between our partners on the key focus areas. This does require us to start the planning process early, right? Um, but this also, but, but I think, you know, one of the key things out of this is this does provide us with the time and space to think strategically about the priorities we want to tackle as a team. So we even have a five-year AI roadmap right now that spans across all stages of employee lifecycle. I mean, I've often asked about the importance of having good governance around people analytics. And I say that it's, it's really important and it's worth investing the time to do it because you set yourself up for success. And certainly, I think the example that, that you shared around the ethics charter, I think is really important. And I know, obviously, Dirk, as you said, worked work with you to, in the early stages of that. Um, but you've got a particularly good relationship, good partnership with, with your privacy team, I think. Um, I don't know if there's any sort of two or three best good practices that you could share with uh, other listeners. Oh, yeah. So, so definitely. So um, I, think, I think the core to collaboration and partnership is really to bring uh, people in early. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you bring actually privacy and legal and even other teams in early, then I think you create a sense of community where you actually try to co-create something. A lot of times when you bring people in a little bit later, then what they are trying to do is actually mitigate certain risks that's, that, that's around the projects you want to do. So that is where I think is, is important to bring in your partner early on so that you can actually start that co-creating process. That's why we see that um, the governance team being so effective because we have cross-functional representation. So when we actually talk to a project, we potentially might be able to actually look at it from a different angle. And then once we actually have that, we can then drive forward with the project with full alignment from everyone, including privacy and employment. As I said, anyone listening to that who's, who's looking at setting people analytics up within your organization or, or maybe reevaluating your approach to, to working with your privacy team, I think there's some good words from Jimmy there. Um, I think bringing people in early, I think, is definitely something that I think is going to resonate um, in, in our conversation. You, you know, you've got a great, you know, really impressive working relationship with the with the business at, at Vertex to understand the business strategy and prioritizing projects, which I guess is so important in a smaller team as well. Can you tell us how you, you've achieved this? And, and, and again, what advice you would give to people analytics leaders who are looking to do something similar? Oh, yeah, sure. So um, I think, you know, different organizations have different, have different challenges at different times. So I think as people analytics leaders, we really need to understand the business opportunities, priorities and challenges. I think, you know, you know this will give us the, the information necessary um, to basically help the organization. So I, I usually treat this as more of an example, like, you know, a lot of high growth organizations might put a lot of effort in talent acquisition, while some mature organizations might focus on employee retention and each organization is a little bit different. But in order to understand the priorities, I think people analytics uh, leaders need to actually collaborate more effectively with the business and HR business partners to identify key organizational opportunities. But I think on the flip side too, people analytics leaders need to help the business and HR business partners understand the value of people analytics can bring to the table to help drive actionable outcomes. I think that's where we see some, um, you know, basically, uh, you know, collaboration there where we can actually help HRBPs 
uh, you know, basically drive actionable outcome by letting them know exactly what we're working on as well. As you said, it's that two-way thing, isn't it? Because, you know, the day job of an HR business partner is typically very challenging. You're getting lots of requests from, from lots of different people. So by helping them understand what analytics can do, you're actually helping them maybe make some of those tasks a little bit easier and they can provide more impact and value uh, in those conversations with the business. And again, I guess with the business, what it doesn't know about people analytics, it doesn't know. So you, there is that need to communicate what you can do, but there's also a need for us in people analytics to understand the challenges of the business and the challenges of, of, of HR business partners as well. I think it's uh, it's nice. And what are some of the things that you've done to to maybe help your HR business partners, for example, be more comfortable around using analytics in their in their conversations? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things. I think, um, you know, initially when we founded, when we, when we started the function, we uh, almost want to have that more of that push for self-service analytics. But we quickly realized that that's not the support that they need. Uh, because I think from a, you know, from a self-service and analytics standpoint, I think a lot of the tools right now is making everything easier and easier. So what we would need to help the business um, and HR business partner understand is really the insights out of that. Based on the insights, we need to actually collaborate with them to be able to actually understand the data, understand the insight, and then they can actually take that to the business to drive actually actionable in, uh, actions on. I think that's actually critical is really sitting down with them to understand essentially the, the insights and then drive actions afterwards. Did you say it's a team effort, isn't it? People analytics, HR business partners and the business coming together to work together for the benefit of the business and, and the workforce. It's not people analytics versus HR business partners, which is like what I hear sometimes. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so Jimmy, we'll see, we've, we've shared a number of conversations over the years and I'm always really impressed with the initiatives and the work that, that you're doing at, at Vertex. So we thought we'd spend, some of the, the next section of, of our conversation talking about those. So let's start with the focus that you've got on, on skills data. Tell us a little bit about some of the work that you're doing there. Oh, great. Yeah, so I think, I think we had to actually go back to uh, 2019. So at that time, we actually found uh, signals from our data that career growth and development will become a priority area for the organization. Uh, we see signals, you know, basically from our survey and, and even from our data to say we have to actually do more around this space. So we were able to actually get ahead of it by creating a business case around internal mobility, which then actually started our exploration around this skills data. So going back to that partnership model, we then quickly engaged our partners, including data science and IT teams, to understand the quality of skills data that we already have in place. And also because of the smallish organization that we operate in, we need to figure out ways to actually enrich the data by looking at both absolute skills that we have but we also have to actually re-engineer a little bit to look at inferred skills. So based on the collaboration, we were able to create a really high quality custom skills model to match employees to open jobs. Um, so we even actually did a comparison um, against some of the external products and found that our model to be more superior. And we are now in the process of deploying our uh, custom job matching algorithm as, as a first people analytics product uh, as a way to help people navigate their career at Vertex. So as a next evolution of the skills model, we are expanding the use case to match people to career goals that generates career paths to help them see where they can go from a career destination standpoint. So, so this work is really exciting. And, and because we actually create this as a custom model, we have full control over the roadmap and then we can deploy it based on the use cases that we have. Uh, instead of actually buying a product from a vendor. But again, I think, again, great, great example of practice. Develop something internally, then compare before you then invest further in it. 
actually compare it to what else is out there externally on the market. And sometimes the tools outside will be better. But in this case, it was very much that you showed that your internal model was actually going to provide more value for the for the business moving forward. So you go down the build route rather than the buy route. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I think, you know, th there has to be a balance between buy versus build. You can't do everything in-house. Um, and, and I think at, at, at that moment, you need to actually think about what's, what's the best strategy based on the company need. And what sort of feedback have you had from, from users around the, around the product at the moment? I know you're sort of quite in the early stages, but be, be interested in some yeah. of the feedback you've had. So, so there's a couple of things, right? So, um, you know, from a feedback standpoint, you know, we actually release it to a, small pilot, to a small pilot group first and get their feedback to make sure that the quality of match is what they're expecting. Um, we're actually getting a lot of great feedback on the accuracy of the model uh, suggestions. Um, you know, another thing that we're testing uh, in the future is really that outcome, right? Because now, now we have this tool out there. We want to make sure that um, people actually apply, apply to those open jobs. Um, so we're actively testing that as well. But early feedback is very positive right now. I think just that transparency is critical because I think, you know, allowing other people to be able to see the possibilities across functions, I think in itself is a really positive thing. And I think the next area we're going to talk about is, is productization anyway. But if we think about if we're developing a product from on a consumer basis, we want to understand what the consumers who we want to use the product feel about it. So it can give really important feedback so, to support the next stage of the development cycle, I guess, and, and, and iterate the product. So I guess it's, it's, it's working working that, um, in an agile way. And I know from previous conversations, uh, and I guess it links it quite nicely to this, um, you, you know, you're looking within the people analytics team to kind of shift from a kind of project mindset to a product mindset and actually doing using data science for productization. And you, can you tell us a little bit more about your focus here and, and why and, and what are some of the key challenges? And I, I guess it might come back a little bit to the skills. Oh, oh it, it does. Uh, so, you know, one of the key learnings for, for me um, at least throughout this project is there's a big difference between data science for research projects versus data science in creating products. So a model that you create for research purposes might not actually scale to become a product. And you actually need to have a different infrastructure to be able to scale the model to support certain things like error handling, model retraining, right? Model feedback. David, you touch you touch upon this already. Um, you know, like people likes and dislikes, how do we actually capture that and actually pull that back into the model? So this becomes more of a model operations problem versus uh, which is in my opinion a lot bigger. So to overcome this challenge, we actually decided to bring in an external vendor that specializes in model operations and engineering to create the initial infrastructure for us, right? Like we're going back to a buy versus build model because we don't have necessarily the, the um, internal skill set at this point to do it. So we actually bring in a vendor that specializes in this to help us. But now our internal team is fully trained and they have the knowledge to be able to actually build on top of the, the infrastructure. So, so that was a, such a good upfront investment where now we have the internal skills to be able to actually move forward with, with politicizing this. Maybe expand, expand the conversation around the, the kind of build versus buy kind of conundrum. You know, what are, what are some of the things that, that you consider when you're sort of going down that road, um, you know, about, about building or buying technology? So, so when, we, when we talk about build versus buy, I think we always look at a couple of things. One of them is, um, I think, resources being one of them. So, you know, sometimes it's actually a lot easier um, to be able to buy certain things like, um, you know, for example, external data, right? So it might be actually a little bit easier to buy because you, you have to spend a lot of resources internally to be able to actually build out that capability. 
So it might be even cheaper also to buy as well. So it's always looking at resources, cost, and the quality. I think those are the three things that we look at uh, when we evaluate built versus buy. I think the the, the thing behind that too is where do we want to actually uh, differentiate ourselves, right? So in that case, we think that we can build very accurate and, and, and strong models. So we want to keep certain capabilities in-house. So at any given time when we made that trade-off between build versus buy, we also want to keep, for example, like algorithm development in-house versus actually outsourcing that. A good example, I mean, again, we don't need to talk about the vendors, but I know on the external skills side, um, yeah. I think when you're working out which partner to work with, you you piloted a couple of, of, of vendors, didn't you? And and you kind of understood that the one, not necessarily they're the best vendor, but they were the best vendor for, for, for Vertex and the problem you were trying to solve. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, the, in the external sensing space, for example, there's a lot of quality vendors. Um, you know, certain vendors are more specialized, at least in the biotech industry from a scraping standpoint. So when we did a comparison um, against different vendors, that's one thing that we did compare is um, a good way of comparing is, for example, this. I think there's two different types of external data. One of them is, for example, job postings in the people analytics space. Another one might be a social profile, right? So if we look at, um, you know, job 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 scraping, one of the things that we need to look at is the quality of the job scraping. So so we do compare it by actually giving them the data set to actually scrape the the let's say the past three years of uh, vertex. Uh, job postings, and because we have internal data to be able to compare the quality of it, then we can do a com uh, comparison to see which vendor uh, basically is better for us, essentially, at that point. So I think before we engage with external vendors, we do need to actually have that step to be able to evaluate the solution against something that you already have so that you can be comfortable with the solution that you buy. And it's, I guess it's a similar approach. You know, if you're going to build something internally, you pilot it. And I guess it's the same if you building an external technology you want to we want to pilot it and and work with the vendor potentially on 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 developing a solution for your organization as well yeah that's right so let's move to um the, the next area which is i know another area that you're really focused on is around continuous listening again i think you're you're building a solution in-house here for collecting passive and active data love to hear more about that because i think it's a really hot topic at the moment oh yeah so uh so so i think you know from my standpoint we have been uh very proud of the work that we're doing around employee listening so when i started with vertex we actually didn't have an internal engagement survey so the company actually rely on external best uh best to work surveys to gauge employee engagement so I know right away at that moment that we had to focus on building out our employee listening strategy as a key priority. So we actually introduced our first internal engagement survey back in 2019, along with other surveys like onboarding and offboarding. But then we quickly expanded our survey to become twice a year and then introduced uh, the, the bi-monthly bi uh, COVID post survey as well to better support our employees. We also provided them managers with uh, and leaders with real-time access to the data so they can actually drive real-time actions. So this year, uh, like you mentioned, I think one of the things that we're doing is introducing new tools to collect both active and passive collaboration and network data. So the ultimate goal is to see if there's a way uh, to look at passive and active data set together to form what we consider as the continuous listening strategy. So if we can actually find signals within the passive data set on some of the outcomes we care about, we actually no longer need to wait six months to see the trend. It becomes more real-time, right? 
Uh, but the early signal of the passive data set is not necessarily matching up with some of the active uh, data set uh, when, you, when it comes to some of the key outcomes we try to measure. So this requires some further exploration, but I'm happy uh, to dive in deeper once we actually learn more and, and study it more. And I guess listening, I mean, listening is always important. We should also be listening to, to, to what our employees, what our employees rather, what our workforce is, is thinking, particularly those that are close to customers, because that can help us actually have better customer outcomes as well. Yeah. But I guess in the last 12 to 14 months with the with the pandemic, it's been even more important. And you talked a little bit about how you moved to bi-monthly uh, pulses during or during the pandemic. You know, again, you, if you don't want to get into the details, that, that's absolutely fine. But what are the sort of things that that's surfacing up that's, that's helping the organization adjust, you know, adjust adjust during the during what's been quite a challenging situation? Yeah. So, so I think, you know, like couple of key themes that, that we notice is um, employees actually need better support, um, you know, in terms of work-life balance. Um, another one is, um, and, and by the way, this is not also specific to Vertex. I think, you know, industry-wide, we're seeing this trend too, is really related to the uh, how pandemic is also, you know, correlated with certain things like, you know, for example, uh, um, you know, burnout. Um, so, you know, those are some of the key things that we measure. I think, you know, when I talk to other companies as well, they, they are seeing the same thing. So those are some of the things that, that, that we're looking into. And again, I, talking to a lot of your peers as well, um, you know, similarly stepped up the frequency of, of, of listening, uh, making it actionable in real time. So the, the, the managers and leaders within the business um, around communications and, and responding to it, uh, but also looking at the whole thing around return to workplace, you know, looking at the post-pandemic workplace whenever that actually happens is that some of the work that you're sort of digging into as well yeah. we're definitely digging into that as well because um you know i think we're, we're lucky in the fact that in the way that um we actually have a portion of employees on site uh especially laboratory employees so you know we act we actively actually measure um both populations right so people working remotely which is giving us remote insights remote working insights but we also actually have certain on-site employees that we can measure the sentiment there um, so essentially, that is really going to help us when we return to work on some of the challenges we might actually face. And there's so there's so much complexity uh, around, isn't there? The you know because it's it's not as simple as just looking at employee preferences. Clearly, that's important. That informs it. It's understanding the business need, but it's also understanding that you know different people in different groups, depending on their work, their home situations, are going to have different preferences uh, 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 as well. So it's a uh, a lot to analyze from a people analytics perspective. Yeah, that, that's right. And also, you know, I think the great news is we, we are being able to draw on some of the external research as well in this space. So I think marry up uh, essentially the internal research plus external research search. Hopefully we can come up with a plan um, to basically bring people back. And that's an important uh, sort of learning point, I guess, for, for people analytics uh, pr practitioners is there is a lot of external research out there. And that can support a lot of the work that you're doing internally. Yeah, that's correct. So one one more sort of question around that. You talked about um, you know that real time access and and to enable our managers to take action on the data. You know, what are the sort of um, how do you you know because that doesn't happen by magic. Obviously, there there has to be some communication with managers so that they can interpret um, what what they're what they what what the, what the data is telling them and and the actions that they can take. I mean, what are some of the steps that that you've taken around there? Yes, I I, th I think. I think the main thing is just to make the data um, basically easy to consume, um, you know, from a user experience standpoint. 
um, you know, if we look at managers, a lot of managers do not necessarily have a big team, right? So they don't need advanced analytics on top of the survey data that we're providing them. I think by being able to offer them some of the numbers as comparison and being able to, for them to dive into a little bit deeper in terms of comments, I think that naturally allowed them to be curious and want to take action. I think the key thing is being being able to train managers to um, basically want to take action and knowing that based on their action, it will actually improve the number. I think that's basically what we need to put in place. Yeah, I guess that's the key thing, isn't it? You know, if if we if we take action, it's actually seeing what is the impact of taking that action yeah. on, on the outcomes that we're trying to affect. So Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, having, um, you know, basically multiple surveys a year is important because you can actually see those, uh, you know, changes over time, incremental changes. I think that's critical to, to, to the managers when they take action. Yeah, and it's a very different world to where we were not that long ago um, around the frequency of surveying and, and how we did it as well. The final area that we really wanted to touch upon um, is the piece around external sensing. We talked about it a little bit there. So using, you know, again, for those listening, so using external data to bolster insights on the workforce and the, the work that's being done. Now, what are your key aims um, with the work you're doing in here and what actions are you you taking to try and achieve them? Yeah, so um, so external sensing is another capability that we're really, really excited about because, you know, if we think about uh, external sensing, I think if we do it right, we're truly actually moving uh, to what we consider as the big data space. We can use the data to actually understand a variety of different things. You know, one of the things that's, in my opinion, that's critical is looking at the evolution of skills in the marketplace. And then those skills data can then be supplemented back to our skills model, right? <laughs> right? So, so there's a lot of different benefits out of that. And also another key area that we um, are heavily leveraging external sensing now is around our strategic workforce planning. So by understanding the, the, the future of skills, then we can actually understand and help uh, the business see around the corner. I think another use case that we are excited about is really around that competitive intelligence. So if we think about, you know, job posting data, it's actually a really good leading indicator to predict business objectives, right? So if we are, if so, so actually, you know, as part of that, we're collaborating with a, with a university to create a, a sensing tool to help detect the changes in business patterns based on job postings. So I can actually see a lot of uh, benefits out of that if we can actually make that make that project work. Great. And, and can you talk a little bit maybe more to the, 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 the seeing around the corner piece around the workforce yeah. planning. I think that's really interesting because I think that connects really back well with the, the skills work that you're doing to support mobility and development. And then I guess the missing, the, the, the other piece of the jigsaw that is the workforce planning piece. Oh yeah, that definitely. So I, um, you know, I'll, I'll give a uh, example of um, maybe, maybe like another industry, right? So, so we kind of know that, you know, a lot of companies now move to a cloud strategy, right? But at one point, what we know that some of the leading companies, when they actually moved to a cloud strategy, you started to see actually a lot of cloud cloud engineer type of postings coming up basically eight to uh, six, uh, six to eight months beforehand. So if we were able to actually see around the corner to say, hey, you know, like basically these companies, um, let's say our competitors are hiring for cloud strategy, then we kind of know that potentially, you know, there might be a shift in business strategy. So you can actually one you can plan against that. Another one is do you see a surge in postings uh, in the for a specific company in a specific location? So Vertex is let's say lo it's located in Boston. So for from our um, you know from a talent pool standpoint, are we seeing a surge in postings from let's say one of our um, you know basically companies nearby that will give us early signals on potential um, ways that we can do to protect the workforce being poached? Yes, yeah, so that use of external data, external sensing data is is. I would say it's new in people analytics, but it's definitely an area that's rapidly uh, emerging, isn't it? 
Um, yeah. So before before we get to the last question, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one more in because I, I I love your uh, kind of view of some of the exciting thing that's happening in the space. So I'm gonna sort of really ask you now, take a sort of broader view outside Vertex and, and just say, you know, what are what most excites you about the people analytics space, and then and then what is your biggest concern or concerns uh, about the space as we continue to to grow rapidly and evolve? Um, so so I think you know what I'm most excited about is being able to leverage some of more advanced techniques um, in, in 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 the in the space in the analytics space to actually help solve people problems, right? So I mentioned something about external sensing because I think we're using essentially more advanced techniques compared to before. I think one thing that I'm seeing a big change right now is we went from essentially basic reporting in the industry now to actually looking at some of the predictive models. But I think ultimately what excites me the most is actually taking beyond that, basically leveraging more advanced models in terms of creating uh, prescriptive models, right? So I think that's the excitement in the industry and I, I can see that coming. A couple of years ago, if you asked me that, I was like, oh, you know, like we still have ways to go, but I feel like we're actually getting a lot closer. And then... What's the key challenge? I think it's really, um, you know, I think people analytics is always going to be in the trust business. So essentially safeguarding, um, you know, basically people data and, and, and basically work in the confines of the ethics principles. I think it's going to actually be very important for the longevity of this industry. Um, you know, like I think if we have um, basically, you know, even, even some uh, bad news within the industry is going to impact everyone. So collectively, I think it's our job to be able to actually safeguard this. And having that ethics charter in place and that close partnership with your privacy team and being transparent with your employees on, on, on the data you're collecting and how it's being used is is literally foundational elements of, of doing that and keeping that trust is so important. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, so last question to finish, and, and we certainly covered this, I think, so um, so it might be more of a summary, I guess, of where we've got to. Um, we're asking all our guests on on this series, actually, this particular question. So how does having the right people data in place support the fast-paced environment that, that Vertex is operating in? So I think this is a great question. So reflecting back at our conversation, I think having the right uh, people data is the foundation of everything that we do, right? So, you know, figuring out problems we might want to tackle, uh, creating models, measuring outcomes. Um, but we don't uh, always need, to, but we don't always actually have perfect people data from the start. I don't think any of us do. So I think it's critical to start small and then use the people data that we have in place to add business value, um, especially in the fast paced environment right away. And, and then, you know, once you do that, I think it will buy you time to put the roadmap together to acquire additional people data that you need to do actually more advanced work. I think this applies to essentially a small company or it applies to actually people that's trying to start out in this in, the, in this space. Yeah, I completely agree. It's interesting. We have one of your peers on uh, Guru Satyapathy from uh, Capital One a few weeks ago. Uh, and he said, uh, you know, when you're kind of starting out, just be useful. You know, just, yeah. just help the business solve problems, um, communicate that you know, out the, and you'll get the momentum to, to grow, which is, it's very similar, I think. And it's no, no, you know, not surprised that you're both very successful within your organizations at, at helping to do that. So yeah, it's a great advice there, I think, for, for people to, fo to follow. Jimmy, thanks so much for being guest on, on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you and, and follow you on social media? Yeah, great. So I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so people can feel uh, free to reach out if they want to connect. Brilliant. 
Jimmy, it's been an absolute pleasure. There's so much that we could dig into and have a much deeper conversation. I'm sure we will revisit that at some day. So thank you very much and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Great. Thank you so much, David. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe by your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. A huge thank you to all our guests on this series, Claude Silva, Isabel Nadeau, Ian White, Jignasha Grooms and Jimmy Zhang, and our sponsor Charthop. We'll be back soon with Series 14. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.